with me. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Please be seated. People have the tendency to divide the world, the whole world, into inside and outside groups, don't we? It just seems to be part of our nature, part of our makeup. Um, so we walk into a room and we size people up. We look around, we say, He's one of us. She's one of them. He's okay. I'm not so sure about her. Right? If we're honest with ourselves, we're always doing this game of sorting. She won the good ones. She won the bad ones. And she won the sheep. And she won the goats. Unfortunately, our religious impulses often used to re- enforce such discriminations, right? We, we divide the world into believer and unbeliever, the saved and the damned, sinners and saints. And God's grace belongs to one group, but not to the others. So consider our reading this morning from Matthew 25. It isn't difficult for us to read the story through this lens. Um, when Christ will come to judge the earth, he will separate the sheep from the goats. There are essentially two kinds of people, right? And sheep and the goats. And the sheep are rewarded, but the goats are punished. And it isn't a leap for us to identify with the sheep. Um, so it seems like a, a straightforward moral tale um, in which we are the heroes, right? In the end, all those who have a merely theoretical faith will be separated and cast out from the true believers who put their faith into action by serving the poor. And we hope, and maybe we believe, that we are among that uh, sheep class, the true believers. Well, it's a valuable reading in some ways in that it um, encourages us to have a faith that expresses itself in acts of charity, right? Um, faith without works, as St. James has reminded us, is a dead faith. But, and even if we are self-critical, right, and, and we identify with the goats or um, we fear that we might end up among the goats, it still um, seems natural for us. It still seems obvious for us to put Christians, to put ourselves, right, in the position of who in this story, in this narrative? Well, the prosperous 
and wealthy, the ones to, to, um, that are um, providing hospitality or hospitality is demanded of. Um, why is that? Well, over the centuries, Christianity has become the dominant religion here in the West, right? It's the religion of the majority. It's the religion of um, the establishment. It's uh, the religion of the wealthy and the powerful and the influential. And especially here in the United States, right? It's easy to think of ourselves as the one to whom the poor of the world look to receive hospitality and charity. Because let's be honest, we are, right? We are the wealthy class. We're the ones that are blessed with the resources. And the message here is clear. What you do to the poor, you do to Christ. And so this, this, this reading has real legs for us today in the United States in the 21st century. But the original context of the story flips that dynamic on its head a bit. Um, because Jesus' disciples in the original telling are not the rich and the powerful here, but who? They are the poor. They're the poor and the needy in this story. There's a third group here. Um, there's the sheep, there's the goats, and then there's the poor. And those are the members of Christ's family. Those are the Christians. Sort of a twist for us in some ways. It's hard for us to back up and think about it that way. Um, when Jesus sent out his disciples, he told them to take nothing for their journey, but to depend on the hospitality of strangers. So you see how this makes sense, right? Um, they are the poor looking for assistance, looking for food. They are the ones in prison. They're the ones being persecuted. Um, those gathered before the Son of Man for judgment in this story are not the Christians, but the world. They're the nations or the Gentiles. Um, the goyim, as they call, call them in Hebrew. This is a way that um, the Jews distinguished themselves. There were the people of Israel, the people of God, and then there was the world, the nations, the Gentiles. So when Jesus tells the story of how the Son of Man will judge the nations, it is one not only um, of severity, but of mercy too. Um, we might ask ourselves, like, well, when the Messiah comes, when, when, when uh, the Son of Man comes to judge the earth, he's really going to let the nations, the Gentiles, have it, right? This is going to be the time of vindication. But Christ says, no, it's going to be a time of severity, but of mercy too. Does the Son of Man come only with judgment and wrath to the Gentiles? No, Jesus says. 
No, he says that he will show mercy to those who themselves show mercy. Consider the stories of the righteous Gentiles from the Old Testament. Um, Rahab the prostitute from um, the book of Joshua, who welcomed the men of Israel and Jericho. She was spared the judgment of that city. Why? Because she was merciful. Ruth, who earned for herself a place of honor in the history of Israel because of her faithfulness and fidelity to Naomi. She was also merciful. She had loving kindness. It's the quality that commends uh, itself to God. The Son of Man will not blanketly condemn anyone, but will judge each person according to their works. Every heart in which Christ, the Spirit of Christ, has found a welcome, whether outwardly, as a believer or not, will be spared and gathered in. Right? And look at this story. The sheep in the story had no notion at all that it was Christ whom they were serving. They say, Lord, when did we see you? They say, when did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? Or hungry and give you something to eat? They don't know who it is they're serving. But the king says, just as you did it to the least of these brethren of mine, you did it to me. You see then what's being commended is not us versus them, Israel versus the nations. It's not that insider-outsider mentality or even um, this self-righteous moralism that we are the good people, we are the compassionate people. No, what's always being commended is mercy. Mercy. It is mercy that God at last looks for in the world, and us too, and us too. Um, our response to all those that we put in the category of outsider should be justice, should be fairness, but above all, it should be mercy. Above all, it should be mercy. If we, if we read the parable of the sheep and goats as a vindictive story in which the outsiders, the people of the nations, are finally um, or they finally get their comeuppance, um, we miss the point. Okay, but if that's the case, you will say, let's talk about the elephant in the room. What do we make of the goats who are sent away into eternal punishment? That seems awfully retributive. In fact, um, you might say a, a, a punishment that's everlasting uh, is the opposite of mercy. There's no room for mercy in everlasting punishment. And it frankly seems completely unjust and over the top. Now, I think I would agree. I would say this. Certainly, however... The only good response to cruel indifference to the poor or a heart that shuts out the grace of God is rebuke, correction, chastisement. 
We wouldn't want it to be any other way. A world where unrepentant evil is not judged or punished is not a good one. But God chastises that he might heal, that he might correct. He's not only the righteous judge, but the good shepherd who seeks out the lost and binds up the broken. Uh, David Bentley Hart suggests the phrase eternal punishment is more accurately rendered the chastising of that age. The chastising of that age. Some receive the blessing of that age. Some receive the chastising of that age, implying the time and occasion of the correction rather than the duration. Eternal is um, it's, it's, it's reference to the age rather than the length of time. Um, I think it's something we've often missed. If that's so, we may hope for the repentance even of those who are punished. The theme here is, again, both God's justice, his severity, but also his mercy. It's striking to note that one of the earliest pieces of Christian art that we know of is an image of Christ as the Good Shepherd, painted on the walls of the catacombs where Christians hid underground to, to worship when they were being persecuted. And the interesting thing about this particular painting is that instead of a lamb across his shoulders, right? We always see the good shepherd and he has a sheep across his shoulders, a lamb. But in this particular painting, Christ carries a goat over his shoulders. And to many this has suggested a wider hope that even those considered the goats are still the ones that the Good Shepherd seeks out and looks for, that he binds up their wounds. At any rate, it's not for us to judge who is finally lost or saved. It's not for us to say who is in or out. Christ is, after all, the judge, and not we ourselves. It is for us to be merciful, even as He is merciful. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen.